which makes me think about this secrecy of this national defense strategy that is possibly going to lead up to the war with China. Because in the same way that we have the issue in the conflict of Ukraine and Russia, and there were all these things that led up to it, I'm thinking this national defense strategy is exactly what we need to look at to see what's going to happen before there's a missile or a nuclear war with China. Because you're, it's clearly outlined here that this is, this is a call for war. This is the, this is the, the beating drums of war that, that we are, that, 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 that this, the Biden administration really wants. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Arco with co-host, teacher and socialist Ander Lipson, right-wing teacher Jessica, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at whatsleftpodcast.com. Again, whatsleftpodcast.com. Uh, you can find that uh, that new domain name and link to our blog in the episode notes. Uh, you can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZPK on Instagram and Jess's Twitter handle as at jhomie 89 uh, Please subscribe, rate, review, uh, turn, on, turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Thank you. Right. Um, all right. So we uh, today's for today's topic, we'll be discussing the national defense strategy of 2022, um, specifically the con- this country, the USA's uh, um, Department of Defense national defense strategy. Uh, it includes the 2022 nuclear posture review and the 2022 missile defense review. And this is a topic that you had suggested, Andy, we discuss. I think, if I'm not mistaken. Something that was released on the 27th of October. Yeah. And it was discussed then. And you had brought it up before. I remember that you said that was something you wanted us to discuss. And we kept postponing it because of so many other topics that we were discussing, um, such as the, epi- the episodes that people can look back at that we've discussed since. And, um, and I think it's always still relevant since this isn't stuff that's going away. There's still a war going on in. Ukraine and Russia and there's all kinds of threats with China and so anyhow so it's always relevant I think um, it's still relevant I meant to say uh, maybe you can share with us um, why you decided <clears throat> to pick up this topic well um, first off you know before let's see Eduardo we started what's left in 2018 mm-hmm. I think I read the national defense strategy of 2018 a year after it came out and it made a big impression on me um, as in terms of helping me understand why the U S was doing some of the things they were doing. And particularly in its talk of, uh, of changing from a war on terror to changing its military, to dealing with small insurgencies to, to the developing, developing its military to, to take on Russia and China as emerging threats. Um, and I was like struck by that. At that time, I didn't pay as much attention to the stuff about big data analytics and technology and the role of those things. Um, but it was like, wait, the war on terror is over. <laughs> they knew this before. Um, and and so I was very curious when this when I was told that this was coming out. And I don't know if I don't know if these things come out every four years. That might be the case. Does, does anybody know if these are four, every four year documents or do they not know? Okay. Um, 
but so when this one was proposed to come out, I I was very interested in what they were going to say in light of the fact that for me, as we talked about in a previous episode, I have really been following what's been going on in Ukraine and the the, the what what is really a proxy war between U.S., NATO, and Russia. And then, of course, we talked about Russia and its alliance with China and China and Russia combining to talk about how they want to be the new sort of leaders of the world. Um, and they think they will be better stewards than the current ones, um, the United States. Um, we talked about that document that the China, so the Sino-Russia document. And that was the, that we, we talked about the, the national defense strategy uh, document then. Uh, that was 2018. So my reason for bringing forward yes is my is is I'm just like well I wonder what the United States is going to say now in light of what's going on in Ukraine and then Taiwan recently happened, but the really the bigger reason is I've come to really value in what's left, particularly now that Jessica you're here, just the opportunity to talk with people of from kind of different lenses about what they see in these things. So sometimes I get to force my comrades here to read things that they might not otherwise read and just hear what they were going to say about it um, and see what it does to help me kind of see how to look at this. Um, so that's my biggest reason for bringing it here to what's left is I'm really curious what you all make of it. I do think it has meaning in, in terms of understanding the world today. I will say that these are not like documents that are like squirreled away somewhere hidden. These are not secret documents. These are public documents. And it is clear to me when you read their writing that they are writing in the way a government talks to the public, which means lies mixed with truth, you know. So that I have to say, this is not some sort of like, oh, insider game document, although most people don't necessarily read this kind of stuff. Um, but they are aware that this is this is written to the U.S. public, to the, the Russian government. It's written to the European governments. It's written to the Chinese governments as a public document um, of their the way they're going to deal with the with the globe. Um, so that's my reason for kind of wanting to hear what people have to say. And I do think, I find there's something really, I think that I found a lot of interesting threads in this document that were different than the previous 2018. Um, and I want to discuss that and impressions I had as well. Today, Japan's um, uh, national defense strategy and Defense Build-Up Program was released. The National Security Strategy was released. They also have their, uh, uh, they also have their strategic uh, defense strategy uh, being discussed in the media right now. So they're very much in partnership with the USA. So that's that's right now on the mo list. Like as I'm talking, to, like as I'm going, as I'm thinking about the National Defense Strategy of the USA, I think the initial reaction i have to this as I'm, as i said with the context of today's um release by the japanese um their their strategy uh is there's so much emphasis on making sure that military parity gets so strengthened against two specific countries it is the people's republic of, of china and russia and it's obvious we've discussed this already but but it's 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 economic warfare that that they talk about the deterrence program in in a way that is like these soft blows to try to get to these countries to compete with them 
and not in all straight, which can straightforward war with these two countries, but in these soft blows, trying to undermine their democracies or their their countries and talking about how we have to protect democratic value. And so I see lots of hypocrisy, but more than Russia, I feel it's just my perception that it's it's the whole thing was the whole thing was a barrage like statement towards China is the number one enemy of the USA. Have to build their defense systems. They talked about their cyber defense system and their spatial defense system. And how even possible attacks against their GPS could be something they have to be aware of. They talked about too, like about the pandemia and how that gave them a lens and to see like how important it is to also discuss biological warfare. And they said whether it be handmade or whether it be naturally a natural pandemic, a natural um, biological, um, um, what just another pandemic, right? So it is like setting up in this as Biden and I forget the, and and the and the National Defense Department, um, they're setting up what they're calling this. They don't say pivotal. They say this this decisive decade, the decisive decade for which all of these things are going to have to happen at an accelerated rate. And it's like the language of the fourth industrial revolution so clearly outlined in this. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't um, give me any more doubt in my mind. Like sometimes I get a little bit defensive. I've said this before and get a little bit, uh, um, weary or cautious to share about the fourth industrial revolution as if I'm some like, you know, conspiracist about the moon and flat earth and all these things. But it gives me like, I'm so glad I was able to read it because it outlines perfectly what the industrial revolution is about. It also reminds me of the other document we had read about regarding uh, microchips and technology and science because that one was more focused on the development of the of the country that needs to get forward and also in competition to China, right? Because they cannot allow any more of this work being done over there. They have to they have to make it here in the USA. But this is specifically to the military. So uh, so I just I don't see this I don't see this in any way to try to create peace or negotiations or their stupid gaslighting ways of saying that we're trying to deter and find ways to work with. No, it is clearly an alt-rightly statement of war. And I was listening to KPFA and I was listening to Media Benjamin. She was discussing her new book, which is called War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. And she had predicted that Russia wouldn't go into the Ukraine and she got it wrong. And she said, and on KPFA, like I got it wrong. And I'm glad she, she stated it. She was honest about that. But she's talking about how there's her book outlines just 
everything that happened before 2014 and before February 2022 that led up to this. Whereas we see it in the media as if this just happened because of the invasion of Ukraine. And she doesn't speak to it from that frame. She talks about it from the perspective of like how we've led up to it. And there is all of these war tactics that are that happened against Russia, which makes me think about this secrecy of this national defense strategy that is possibly going to lead up to the war with China. Because in the same way that we have the issue in the conflict of Ukraine and Russia, and there were all these things that led up to it. I'm thinking this national defense strategy is exactly what we need to look at to see what's going to happen before there's a missile or a nuclear war with China. Because you're, it's clearly outlined here that this is, this is a call for war. This is the, this is the, the beating drums of war that, that we are, that, 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 that this, the Biden administration really wants in this strategic, uh, what do you call it, manual or, or the PDF file that I read or whatever this thing is, the defense strategy thing, the link. So it's, um, so it, it, it really, it like fills in the gaps for me to understand when we're entering 2023, as we're in December, for what might happen in the future. Like this will be like, oh, that's right. I remember we had studied, we'd read this 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 document, and it just makes sense why things are happening, everything into place, right? Like this will definitely be something that I think that as an episode, people will look back on and see what we got right, what we got wrong, what we what we uh, we wanted our audience and our public to to be aware of. Um, normally, I I tend to think that these kind of episodes they'll get low views or low because it's sometimes a little boring. Like I said from the very beginning, like it's kind of boring this language and everything, but it is an important document, and I I hope to f- further discuss it and maybe we can I'll I'll share some specifics from what I've read. But that's my initial este my initial reaction and. Um, points of view. I think you did a good job, Eduardo, of highlighting some of the key, just kind of general points. Um, Like you, I think it was interesting just kind of tracking like the through lines where the language was very like nationalist. I mean, obviously it's nationalistic, but um, you know, like these are our rivals, right? Definitely agree. Um, it's like China and Russia, but it's like China really. Right. Like every, that is always first. Um, and very kind of like cold war language with like, they call basically the competition with people's Republic of China, like a pacing challenge repeatedly. Um, so tracking like that kind of stuff. But then also all of the fourth industrial revolution, kind of like agenda 2030 language and through lines as well. Like you were saying, Eduardo, with the stuff about resilience and some of the climate change stuff, um, transboundary conflicts, like that kind of language, which is, I don't know, I guess in my mind, I kind of categorize it more in terms of the whatever one one world government one world order type of thing um so that that was one kind of highlight that i was tracking 
Uh, I mean, obviously just so much hypocrisy throughout the whole thing, like to the point where like it is boring, <laughs> like, you know, having read not too long ago that 2018 document, like there were definitely some differences um, and some new terminology, but, you know, same same old hypocrisy for sure in terms of like, yeah, like we want peace and eventually let's all eliminate nuclear weapons and that's the goal. But then like, it, here's a scenario where like, we'll use them, right? Um, and that same, same hypocrisy with, um, yeah, so many elements in terms of just the you know, critiquing China, right? Like they're the sort of intersection critiques, PCR's coercive actions um, to shape the region, authoritarian preferences, rapid modernization, expansion of military. It's like, okay, (laughs) look in the mirror. Um, And then like these always afterthought sort of, uh, nods toward like you know taking care of our people or democratic values when you know I mean the whole thing it's it's everything that they're talking about in terms of investments and energy and security like you know I always just read it through the lens of like what do you mean like taking care of your people like you're homeless you're poor you're sick you're functionally illiterate like I mean that's just always you know coming back to class warfare and um, taking care of your own people before you start (laughs) placing the world. But those are kind of old themes. So I I am, yeah, after we finish kind of going around, I'm, I'm curious to hear like why in particular, I feel like you probably have a lot of thoughts on China, Andy, and like the way that it's framed. Um, And I definitely think we should take a look at some point, Eduardo kind of um, referenced this briefly, but the, section on um cyber like the cyber domain and space i thought it was really interesting that those were always grouped together um and some interesting lots there but maybe we can go into specifics a little bit later i think that you both kind of got to a lot of points um you know like the the fact that it's setting china you know it's, it's not russia even though Russia is galvanizing the attention of the world or, you know, the media, Russia is a side fight. <laughs> you know, China is the big fight and they're getting ready for that. And they're talking about long time periods, right? A decade, for example, in, in pace setting by China, you know, and, um, but, you know, and also, I also saw, you know, the, the language of the fourth industrial revolution. There were two things that actually stood out to me. Uh, the first one is interoperability. Uh, and the second was uh, systems of systems. So they're talking about synthesis. They're talking about uh, integrating systems, you know, um, and, uh, you know, that's what the fourth industrial revolution is is about, you know, integrating systems that exist and, and creating new system and in- integrating those as well. Um, and so, you know, that involves all the departments. Um, and so, uh, absolutely, this is a call for war. You know, this is a, uh, you know, you know. they also talk about the private sector a lot. You know, uh, Lipson has mentioned before that, you know, an increase of synthesis of the state and private sector is uh, the, the state gearing up for war. 
And I think that's what they're saying. And, and they're also saying, and there's a part, I don't remember which section, but where they talk about, um, you know, like um, basically uh, training the new talent and also throwing them into the private sector as if it's not happening now, <laughs> you know, and as well as competing with the private sector for talent. Um, so they're, they're telling you, you know, if, 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 you know, if I, if you step back, I think you can almost see like that's fascism right there. <laughs> you know, that, that's what happens when, you know, when like uh, fascism, you know, as I guess the stereotype uh, that we know uh, happens. Um, and so, yeah, I guess those are the, my first thoughts, you know, that uh, I, and the other thing that I, the question that I have, you know, like is who are they writing to, right? Um, because the things that they're disclosing, right? The military operates on a need-to-know basis. They have chains of command. They are very secretive, you know, and they're obviously releasing some information, but withholding others. So this is chess. This is not, you know, they have, this is something they're disclosing, but they have a bunch of moves in their back pocket, you know? And so this is just a piece, you know, to kind of, I think, integrate <laughs> other people into the game. You know, and and well, in reality, we're all pawns in this game, and you know, like even though uh, Austin Floyd signs this, right? This is not Austin Floyd writing this shit. This is this is the, the ruling class of the United States declaring, you know, you know their intentions, you know, in order to maintain and perpetuate its power in the world, and because there will be a challenge. I think they they understand that, you know that. Uh, and they have to get ahead of the game. Uh, um, so that's what I see in this document. Um, you know, and like, uh, I'm more also curious about the things that are not said uh, as well. Eduardo, were you going to say something? Yeah, I wanted to say one more thing, if that's all right, Andy, before you go on your long rant. <laughs> I was thinking here about this document, how it almost is convincing because they they state it in their national defense strategy in the very first, what is it, the first page, they say that they have a responsibility to respond to the U.S. American people to protect, promote global security, and to speak to the, and they like to emphasize, you see, they capitalized all, A-L-L, like all volunteer military, like we don't, we don't, um, this is a dem democracy, not like they, 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 recruit right everyone's a volunteer here so they have a they have a but i was just this is before we move on before i know you're going to say your piece i was reading this in light of there's an article by ceasefire magazine from the uk and it's about in theory anarchism war and state and one of the things from the framework of anarchism is that any war by the state is not to is not necessarily to promote, as this is saying, promote democracy, or to try to um, uphold the, as this one, as the state, this country is saying, to uphold American way of life or the values and principles of this American, of the American way of life, but rather to expand its empire. That's what this is. This 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 article that I'll share in theory, anarchism, war, and state, and that's why in the very beginning there were these two. Um, uh, Goldman, and there were these two, este, where is it here? I had it highlighted here. Hold on. All right. That's why in the First World War, 
uh, anarchists Emma, Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman were central anti-conscription activism in First World War America and were jailed as prisoners of conscience because they were of conscience. They were they were critiquing their anti-militaristic critiques placed a strong emphasis on a socialist critic on socialist criticisms of the capitalist basis of war. Elites use irrational prejudices to manipulate people. That's what this document is. Manipulate people into fighting on their behalf. This, that's what this is about. It isn't as this document is presenting to uphold these American values, to make sure that we, uh, to respond and to explain why it's China, the one who's trying to creep onto us. No, it's every war by the state, by this, by, by a capitalist state is going to want to expand it. This, this, this country is looking at this other one is expanding. No, they have to expand it first before everyone else. That's what the competition is between these, these big, but you know, like the biggest, the biggest players will say that the biggest players of, of the big, biggest global players. Okay, go ahead. So first off, yeah, I, I do think you you have all touched on some of the major themes for me. Uh, first one being, this is a war document. Um, second one being who is this written to? And I do believe it's not public really, it's a public document written, written to the bureaucracy written. I believe it's written to the U S bureaucracy about the, where, where things are going. It's not supposed to be read by regular people. It's supposed to be digested by the press and they spit it out in the way, you know, and that that's where, so it, it is not a call to war. When they call us to war, they're going to use way bigger lies than what's in this document. But I do believe it's a it's preparing the U.S. bureaucracy for war um, and, a, and a war footing. But some other things that really struck me first was, was one of the things that you all noted that this was about, it really singled out China as the primary opponent. And that term pacing challenge, which kept being used, pacing, a pacing challenge, a pace car is one you're trying to keep up with, actually. Um, and it actually, in many ways, it was an, the first acknowledgement. If you think back to the first document where they were just saying, hey, we've got these emerging powers on there. We've got you, China and Russia kind of coming up. We've got to start taking care of them. That's what we're setting ourselves up for. Four years later, they're now, first of all, they've said, no, China is what we're dealing with. Russia is a smaller player. They put out China way. It's so clear China is their big opponent. Russia is down here. And then below Russia is Iran and North Korea. And then somewhere in there is violent extremists, you know, down in somewhere down there below that, you know, the ones that they were so worried, so called, so worried about over the last 20 years that have now just gone to the bottom of the depth chart. Um, but that it was very remarkable to me in the teeth of this Ukra conflict with Ukraine that, in my opinion, is not going well for U.S. Um, mm. For all the talk of how difficult it is for Russia, I don't think it's going well for U.S. And it's not going well for maintaining the alliances that are so often talked about in this document, like building their alliances. And certainly if you look at what's happening in terms of Saudi Arabia and other, and, and some European powers in Africa, and even some people, some in South America, it, it's very, it's very troubling. Uh, I think it, it paints a picture of their alliances fracturing, uh, even in a document that speaks to, we will be building strong alliances, which they kept on saying over and over again. Um, so, it was remarkable to me that in the face of an of, a, of an actual real conflict with Russia that's 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 going on right now that this document was very clear-eyed in saying our primary opponent is China and it caused me in the same it caused me to see the war in Ukraine which is a proxy war with Russia to see that conflict as a prop as 
U.S. conflict with Russia as a proxy conflict with China, particularly in the in the context of uh, the, the the agreements that are being reached by, with by Russia. So I I do believe now that that all these I, I come to really feel like, and they don't talk about it in this way. They they actually in the document speak of them as somewhat separate as this sort of a a field of players that they're dealing with, with with one big player, the pace the pace challenge of China, and a, a, a slightly smaller player, Russia, and then bit players of Iran and North Korea. They talk about it as different, but I I think they 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 look at them all as a piece, um, as basically everything's about dealing with China and making sure that the U.S. is not displaced. Um, and I also think about it in the context of the book. We, I never got to talk about this book, the Long Game, um, which this book lays out. China from the 80s to the 90s to 2010, emerging as a an ally of the United States, moving to a slight, like, you know, a silent competitor, but, you know, look, we can work with the United States to a full-blown emergence as a competitor with the United States. And that being part of the China strategy as to reveal itself, unfold itself like a flower to say, okay, now we are ready to take you on. And the first place they were going to be taking them on is in the indo Asian region. And it was so funny to, to look at the United States, which has a whole Monroe doctrine and says we control South America, speak of, you know, in, Indonesia and Vietnam and Korea, the Koreas as essentially the U.S. Back, backyard and China. Ha, how dare China go into these regions that are literally right next door to them, <laughs> you know, like 300 miles, sometimes 600, 800 miles away. U.S. is thousands of miles away, and they are talking about the threat to uh, of China represents by its emergence in those regions as a as a you know uh, not just about Taiwan or Japan, but emerging as a competitor in any of those regions and saying we we have to put them in a in a in a, in a box, um, and that's what and that's what this doc this book is about is about China recognizing that the U.S. will do that. How do we how do we how do we hide within the U.S. wanting to use China to come out and emerge as 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 the competitor we are, we actually are. Um, the other thing I noted was the how long this document was compared to the other one. The previous document did not mention nuclear nuclear weapons. It did not mention ballistic missiles. It didn't talk about all those things. I think there's some very interesting things in the in the nuclear part. Um, and for me, the boringness of this document, and it is more boring than the other document. In all honesty, because I've been listening to people like Colonel Douglas McGregor and Scott Ritter. Douglas McGregor has, is more of a U.S. military guy, and he was talking with the person who has actually his former CIA and trained some people in the U.S. military. And they think the U.S. military is very much not capable of challenging Russia right now and really in a position of weakness in relationship to what Russia is doing in Ukraine. And and they, they, rec they believe that the U.S. has to be completely reorganized. Uh, and they think it's completely fat and it's got, it's like general and kernel heavy. Um, and I actually read this document as a very conservative document of sort of maintaining the status quo. Like it actually reads for me now as a document of, of, a, of an aging empire, which doesn't know how to change its habits because nothing in here is, takes a new course. Um, it's all same old, same old. It has woke language in it. It has diversity, you know, we're going to be a diverse army and things like that. It has these things that it's almost trying to sell itself to itself, but it's not actually striking out a new path. It, does, it doesn't even acknowledge that it's actually fallen behind where it was four years ago 
And I, I, it doesn't in no way speak to what is it going to do? What is the United States going to do to make sure it comes out on top, except to say it will not restrain itself from the use of its own nuclear weapons. It's not going to get rid of sole purpose. It's not going to adhere to what's called sole purpose use of nuclear weapons, meaning, oh, well, only these are for this, nor will it refrain from first use of nuclear weapons. Not only will it not do that in, re in relationship to a nuclear threat, they're saying they will not refrain from that in the possibility of non-nuclear threats because they are speaking of China as having increasingly an array of threats, non-nuclear threats that it can make to U.S. strategic interests. So they reserve the right to can still say we will first we can do first strike on a country that isn't threatening us with, nu with nuclear weapons, but is, is threatening us enough that we feel like we got to use them. And that was remarkable for, you, for me to, for them to admit that in the document. But again, I think this is a document of weakness and they're trying to threaten their allies or threaten their enemies into some kind of fear. Um, it certainly is a, doc, is a war document, but I felt it came off weak and flabby and almost like, uh, I think if it was a really good document, we wouldn't have been as bored because it would have been talking about how all these the kind it would have really been talking about how it's preparing itself to defeat its opponents and really i i feel like it was a lot of trivialities and there are a lot of like things you would banalities that aren't even true about alliance making and things like that these alliances are, are cracking for them and they they had to blow up germans Nord Stream pipe pipeline do they really and, and they're and they have made europe dependent on their energy do they really think this is going to lead to a, a strengthening of the U, european alliance with them they got to know that's not true. So these words are just literally words that they're saying to their own bureaucracy to convince themselves that we must go forward with this plan that will that will fail. And so I, on, on a deeper reading, this document was weak. Like it, it was a it was a sign of weakness to me by how much lack of reality it expressed in itself. It, it showed in itself in terms of recognizing its actual situation therein. I think it's uh, very interesting. I was listening to Scott Ritter, and yeah, he was talking about how, like, Ukraine, you know, how it's going really bad, you know, in, in a way for the U.S. Because, uh, you know, just look at the, the the amount of money they've dumped, you know, in Ukraine, um, and they've actually dumped more money than the whole budget of the Russian military, you know, into Ukraine, and, and it's still not over. You know, and obviously there's another game, you know, like Russia has to win decisively. This is Scott Reader's uh, point, you know, that Russia cannot win by a little bit. They have to show that they won because otherwise it's it's a, it's a failure for themselves. Um, so I think if it's a stalemate, like the, the, the U.S. is losing because, you know, they're showing that the, the way they've been fighting, you know, in the recent years is not working. And, and it, it makes me wonder you know, if they're thinking about the more direct clash you know like this proxy wars you know is going to be a thing of the past and so they have to be ready for that moment especially with a bigger power like china um you know when, when the when the time comes uh just one brief question for anyone what's up with the the campaigning i don't know is that just like so they use it throughout the whole thing um Let's see, just as an example, you know, the department will all will campaign day to day to gain and sustain military advantages, blah, blah, blah. Campaigning is not business as usual. It is the deliberate effort to synchronize the department's activities and investments to aggregate 
focus and resources to shift conditions in our favor. Um, I mean, it's kind of weird because it's like election language, right? Um, I mean, obviously no one voted for this shit, but um, and then they like they define it in the intersection uh, campaigning the conduct and, and sequencing of logically linked military initiatives aimed at advancing well-defined strategy aligned priorities over time. I don't know. Did any, am I reading too much into that? But it just it stuck out to me because they kept going back to it. I think I might be able to say something about that, but I'm going to start it with a quote that struck me. Um, there, this was one they said about in the past, and they're talking about the U.S. Defense Department. In the past, the department's approach to deterrence has too often been hindered by competing priorities, lack of clarity regarding the specific competitor actions we seek to deter, and emphasis on deterring behaviors in instances where department authorities and tools are ill-suited and stovepiping. Now, first off, it actually, you don't have to know what stovepiping means to actually know that this is speaking to essentially a, a, a system which has got in, interdepartmental rivalries. It's things aren't going in the same direction. But stovepiping is an interesting term that they use because what that is is where a, a specific interest within a group tries to put forward a reality within the group to to push their agenda. So what they're saying is. They're saying that the various departments within the within the Department of Defense are actually competing with each other for money so they can get their projects and their push push their sorts of things in that direction. And that's what stovepiping is. Um, and so what this is, and the reason I think they're talking about campaigning is I I feel like they know that they don't, they know they're in a situation where they're speaking to a bunch of departments that are in kind of a competitive war, war is a strong word, but they're competing with each other within the Department of Defense for money, for power, for influence, like a like a sclerotic empire. And so they're trying to get everyone on the same page. And so that's why they have to speak of all these things as things they're going to try to do. They're going to say, we're going to wage a campaign. We're going to all go in this direction. And, and so they, they actually have hearts and minds to convince within their own bureaucracy. So that's why I think it's being discussed in this way. That's why it comes off as so weak. It's like, it's all about things they're going to do that are kind of vague, but, you know, and you, even what you read was very buzzwordy, you know, um, it doesn't give you a sense of, okay, what are you actually doing? And that's why that, that's, that's my answer to that, um, is it, there, there is hidden underneath this, the revelation of how weak the U S military is, because this is something else Scott Ritter said, he goes, and Douglas McGregor said, we spend billions billions way more than anyone and he goes we're not getting anything for our money russia's getting way more for the money it spends on its on its military and he's saying we've only accelerated that by now giving them the actual experience of fighting a kinetic war with some of our forces and now they're learning by experience and we've only been fighting wars against small little insurgencies we're going to get smashed by these people that's what douglas mcgregor says because we're training them with our proxy fighters to how to how to kill U.S. soldiers who may end up dying anyway if, as more and more go on the ground. Then. And I have a question that kind of relates to this notion that, you know, there is uh, some work to be done in terms of getting everyone together, right? Like the jo uh, joint forces, right? They also, that was another, something that they were kept repeating, I feel, 
um, like this idea of unity, right? Because uh, there were news, right? Like that the fucking Department of Defense, right? They couldn't find two trillion dollars, right? <laughs> and obviously, there is a lot of corruption. You know, it's absolutely a lot of corruption. There's also clandestine operations, mm-hmm. you know, in but because you're saying this right now, it, it makes me wonder about that money. It's like everyone's doing their own shit because even in other operations, like in Afghanistan, right? They, they, they were different uh, um, agencies that were clashing in operations, you know, that they were running into each other in operations because they weren't communicating. And so here we go, right? They, we're spending so much money, $2 trillion in assets that weren't found from the, you know, this last uh, uh, audit of the you know national the department of defense and then just the last week right or something uh they voted to increase again the military budget uh for the the, the biden requested and they gave him like 50 billion dollars more than he requested again it, like if they do every year they give him a little extra spending money <laughs> and yet they're they're not having the decisive results that they they, they think they should be getting and and so make, my question is like, what do you guys make of that stuff? Well, I I think it 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 continues to paint a picture of a look. The U.S. military, the way McGregor talks about it, is the U.S. military is an aerospace and a maritime military. We're not a military that can take ground in Europe, that can take ground in in Asia. We can we can control air. And we can control the seas to some extent. That's our that's our forte. But that's about it um, in terms of. And we've also lost most of the conflicts we've been in since the '60s. Um, and you know, I just think that two trillion dollars hole that it went into just speaks to an an agency that uh, there's a deep state in operation here that is that they can't get a handle on. Like they can't figure out how to get the thing to operate in a way that's going to push all in the same direction, so they can take on a competitor in any in a in a meaningful or in a productive way. And it's also interesting to me that the last time an audit came out was just before nine eleven, and the Pentagon got hit, which had been the section of the Pentagon where the papers around that audit were done. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I don't know what's coming now, but yeah, I think it's. For all the time when I think of the U.S. as a as a major military power, and it is, I, I think there's a lot more weakness in it than I than I think I might know. What about dominance in the cyber in the space spheres? Should we pivot there? I don't know. I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't know. If mm-hmm. I well, I'll say one thing. There was a a video that I was thinking I would have you guys watch. It was a it was a New World Order kind of conference. Uh, it was in October, where basically various Western elites were talking, were just beginning to talk about what's going on in Ukraine. It wasn't maybe in October, maybe it was July. Um, and they were like, oh, what well, Ukraine's going on and what's going on in the world? And one of the things that one person said at that was like, that the US and China have already been actually fighting in space and fighting in the deep sea. like. That there's evidence that there there's actually been conflicts in those regions that it's not talked about in the mainstream newspapers, and everyone seemed to nod their head and agree. I didn't know about this stuff. Like I didn't know that there was actual kind of pseudo combats taking place, like destroyed shit up in the air and destroyed shit down in the sea. 
between these two big powers. Um, so that was something to hear. And they were saying, how do we, how do we keep this from unfolding into a war that destroys everything? That was kind of the thing when it, when it, when, when, when it's not just fighting going on in Ukraine with a proxy war with Russia, but there's already war starting between, there's already a war taking place in space between with us and China and in the deep seas, um, in, of our oceans, which I didn't look into it, but that people seem to accept it as a fact. Um, the one thing I will say is I'll take this quote, which I thought was interesting, that I'll read. Um, this was in their tech section. Um, they said, we, United States, will fuel research and development for advanced capabilities, including in directed energy, hypersonics, integrated sensing, and cyber. We will seed opportunities in biotechnology, quantum science, advanced materials, and clean energy technology. We will be a fast follower where market forces are driving commercialization of military relevant capabilities in trusted artificial intelligence and autonomy. I like the, how they use the word that trusted artificial intelligence, integrated network system of systems. That this is what Kenny was talking about. Microelectronics, space, renewable energy generation and storage, and human machine interfaces, which is with the stuff we were talking about with the Cyborg 2050, where they're going to basically try to get their soldiers connected to machines. And have everyone reporting back to a machine, AI going back and telling you how to fight that war. So this is what they're, this is their big play, you know, and this is, this is why what, what Eduardo was saying about this is not a, um, what's it called? A conspiracy. They, they're, they're going to be using the, this world as a playground for building their war machine. And well, uh, is the goal, I don't know, I'm just curious what people think with that. Like, is that actually their plan for reestablishing dominance, the U.S. military, I mean, to, I mean, they're already well on their way, like the soldiers are required to wear wearables and blah, blah, blah. but like, they're going to turn, you know, a transhumanist dream of like turning their human soldiers all volunteer into cyborgs basically or and or is this in some ways not so much about i don't know how do i want to put this like is it more about the large like this is one way that they can i mean they test everything on military right like whether it's vaccines technology right um and then that external like extreme situation wartime um abroad whatever stuff of course comes home to roost right and so is it is it just a way to like roll this larger agenda out you know i mean we've talked so much about transhumanism in education and you know so many other areas or is it both or i don't know yeah I, the way i see it is um you know, I think of the Communist Manifesto, you know, and like where Marx talks about like the need to expand into new markets, right? And I think in another episode, we talked about how like physical markets are, you know, everyone's like everywhere, you know, so they're creating new frontiers, right? They're, they're, they're advancing to new frontiers. And this system is a system of competition in all domains, you know, and ultimately, you know, the power structures, are, are underwritten by violence. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. 
you know, because I feel like the capitalists are to portray this system as like a, a somewhat honorable system of, you know, competition, you know, and like they kind of obscure the violence that goes behind it, you know, the, the pure viciousness that, in, in, that has to, that underwrites the whole system. And so I, I think it's all of it, you know, and, you know, in the process of, and most, most technologies that we get come from the military, right? Uh, you, you know, uh, Siri, automated vehicles, the internet, you know, uh, drones, uh, microchips, you know, tracking technology, the internet of things, you know, and, and when you brought the question earlier, brought up the question about um, space, you know, that's one more domain. And that's why I find it very interesting. And we, we, I, I may want to suggest an episode on this. Elon Musk, Elon Musk represents all that. And he has deep ties to these fuckers. You know, like he, you know, uh, SpaceX, right? SpaceX was providing internet to help the Ukrainians, you know, quote unquote. But he was getting paid money, you know, to do this by the U.S. government. You know, Twitter is about censorship, right? He's not fucking doing that. Tesla is about data gathering. You know, Tesla is not a fucking car company. It's a data gathering, gathering company. You know, like I saw uh, uh, someone said that about like 90% of cars are uh, getting data nowadays and, and selling your data. That's what the game is about. So it, it's all together, you know, in this system of competition and violence. So I think it's a loaded question in this group, Jessica, what you're asking, because I think Kenny and I are both going to see it as, um, you know, like, no, like, no, this is, this is really war making. Like, if you ask me, it's not a market. It, it, it's like now the market, now the commercial market is really just literally a, a product now of war making um, because war making is driving all of it. And Kenny's right. My understanding of capitalism is it's always been that way. But in times of, of emerging war, I think it reveals itself that it's true nature to show that all these things that are being tested out in the world are really about that competition, which must come in the form of, of war. So that, but that's just because we look at this as a competitive system and not as one that has this collaborative element to it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I really believe, and I think that when they talk about these particular areas, this is where the pacing challenge of China emerges, because this is where China is putting the most, I think, when they talk about the fact that they actually think that there's potential for non-nuclear threats to bring down or really create a giant strategic risks for the United States militarily, they're talking about these sorts of uh, technologies. Um, and so they are saying, we need to be able, and that's why they say, our diversity, our democracy, we will do better than China because we have those. We're not authoritarian. I don't know what sort of smoke, I mean, it's just, it's words they say to themselves to make them feel better, but that they, they are trying to say to themselves, we will do a better job of being China than China because the, a lot of what the U.S. is doing here is dealing with the pacing challenge of China, who is who is ahead of us in most of these areas because it's ahead in data collection. Um, and, it, and SpaceX is a, is a, is a particular thing. China's attempting to, to cobble together its own space program and has already apparently put one together enough to challenge the U S in space and have some kind of conflicts out there. 
I just know, for example, like on GPS, China was ahead of the US for years. Like they had more satellites in in, in space, you know, to provide GPS coverage than the US had. I guess I do have a question. Um, so where does you know? I I didn't see. Well, I didn't see Europe mentioned explicitly. It was just vaguely mentioned in the document. Is there any thoughts on that? Just NATO allies. Yeah, yeah. I thought I had seen it in in um, the end. Korean of our strategy and allies and partners in advanced region locals. They discussed the Indo-Pacific region um, partnerships and then Europe's partnership. They will continue their bedrock commitment to NATO collective security. Um, and acute forms of grace and coercion. Let's see. What yeah. I what I wanted to point out, I guess, is that they are in partnership going to enhance their intelligence and surveillance. What I didn't know is what this means. Reconnaissance? Reconnaissance? Um, I don't know what that is. Well, and the electronic warfare platform. So, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest area they mentioned it is in in NATO and in def and using NATO as a pretext for challenging Russia or China. That's how I call it pretext. But also mentioning the the nuclear deterrence in those regions. Like that was where Europe figure figured pretty big in saying number one, we don't there in terms of nuclear non-proliferation, the U.S. is not encouraging Europe to develop its own nuclear weapons. Like it was kind of interesting to hear that and was actually explicit in saying, we'll provide you your, the nuclear weapons to protect your, to protect you, which really just means we want to have the, the say about when these things get used. And that was, that was interesting to me for them, for them to, for all this talk of alliances and even talked of shared, of, of, of shared defense. Cause that was the other thing. Like they were talking about, like, we're going to build a stronger alliance. We'll be a stronger military like this. And again, I I agree with McGregor. The, all this, the, the NATO military is just U.S. in a, it's just a U.S. shell. It's like the NATO is weak underneath all that. And so they know that. So what are they talking about when they say we're going to be stronger together? No, you're going to have to hold them up. And in fact, you kind of made it that way because you don't want them arming themselves because you want to run the game. I think the only part I wanted to bring up, and I'm looking for the part where I read it, was um, um, the um, climate change, or which we haven't brought up there. Hold up on page 14, I think is the first. Yeah, before we go there, I did just want to maybe read a little bit more on the uh, cyber space. Sorry, like part of it printed out and then part mm -hmm. of it online. Mm -hmm. Um. So this is on sixteen when they're talking about deterrence, deterrence by resilience. Um, denying the benefits of aggression also requires resilience, the ability to withstand, fight through, and recover quickly from disruption. The department will improve its ability to operate in the face of multi-domain attacks on a growing surface of vital networks and critical infrastructure, both in the homeland and in collaboration with allies and partners at risk. Because the cyber and space domains empower the entire joint force, we will prioritize building resilience in these areas. Cyber resilience will be enhanced by, for example, modern encryption and a zero trust architecture. Kind of interesting in um, 
in comparison to, I forget who brought up the trust thing earlier, but here, I mean, I assume they're talking about stuff like blockchain here, encryption. Um, in a space domain, the department will reduce adversary incentives for early attack by fielding diverse, resilient, and redundant satellite constellations. So yeah, like exactly what Kenny was talking about with like uh, Musk and his Starlink government contracts. Um, we will bolster our ability to fight through disruption by improving defense capabilities and increasing options for reconstitution. We will assist allies and partners in doing the same. Um, so just interesting language. And um, I mean, that's definitely a very like four IR section, I feel um, just in terms of how it's framed. Um, I, I don't know, like how, like we, we kind of talked about like the, weakness of especially like ground military but how do you guys feel in terms of this idea of like the cyber space as a a field of war and like the u.s as a competitor to china and others a field of war well i mean that's how they're presenting it right Mm -hmm. it's like here are these other spaces like we're and just what andy was talking about like literal war War and I mean, in the whole like cyber pandemic thing that that was being talked about a while back, and um, you know, and it being like the new frontier for terrorism, you know, cy- like Russian cyber terrorists and stuff like this, and then, um, and then space, obviously, a whole different ballpark. Um, it's weird how they like collapse them too. I mean, I sort of get why, but I've actually heard like military people talking about that. You know, like in terms of the domains of, of war, you know, air, space, land, sea, um, you know, and with the human domain, <laughs> which actually I think takes another uh, dimension once you talk about, you know, like programming people and stuff. And then the cyber domain. And now, like, all these things connect in some way, you know, and will connect. And like, so sabotage is a thing, you know, for example, that you can do. We, you know, in, in, for example, the U.S. I think knows that it doesn't have the capacity. You know, you know how many engineers China produces every year compared to the U.S. You know, like it, 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 it's so many more. You know, like in that field. So, so that will be a challenge for the U.S. to keep up. You know, just in terms of numbers, um, and you know, like. Uh, and, and of course, they're trying to fight that fight, but I, that, that's why I think this document, you know, the way we're trying to read it, I guess, or, or where we're kind of uh, interpreting, you know, as a certain concern, you know, like what I hear basically is this document saying, uh, look, we have to get serious together. You know, we all have to get serious, you know, because we are behind, <laughs> you know, like in terms of like, we're not, they're not clashing directly with the major fights yet. You know, because I do think there is cyber war happening. Like you know, you were saying about space, there's absolute, absolutely sabotage. You know, uh, happening with each other, uh, blackmail and all that shit. Um, and so it is, a, it is a domain that they're fighting and they're preparing for, it and they, they have people. You know, and the, you know, we're talking about like the the human assets that they want to invest in. You know, this is one of them. They want to steal the tech people. You know, like. You know, a lot of the greatest mathematicians, you know, have either gone to the military or, or tech companies, you know, and so they want to make sure that more people are funneled 
into the military or through the private sector. That's what I hear, you know, them like making this connection of that system and having to, and also having to compete with the private sector if they have to, for, for this, you know, um, to and again, but that speaks to the, the interest in being able to compete in that domain, you know, the cyber world. Yeah, and what I would say is, is if you are a global empire, and attempting to be a global hegemon, and you feel like you a competitor can threaten your ability to see clearly in any part of your empire, or to to or to they, to throw up illusions for you to, to essentially give you false information um, through various means, uh, cut out information and give you false information, and you see your opponent building its own network of infrastructure to get proper information and then also to develop the artificial intelligence that is going to be used to process that information and make decisions about it um i mean the ai is is seen data is the new oil and ai is seen as the transformative technology for this century and i do think that the us is worried that uh they like like in the same way that big blue you know Beat uh, beat the champion in chess, or they maybe cheated a little bit, and then later they've had AI was could beat a League of Legends team, you know, that was training for you know a long time to play these video games. Um, I think this is the kind of thing they're worried about: is a human opponent using uh, an artificial intelligence asset of some sort to completely change the the field of terrain they're working in because it's an electronic one. So that's what I think is the worry um, is that for all their uh, aircraft carriers, for all the money they've plowed into this to ICBMs and all that kind of stuff. I think they feel vulnerable in relationship to the, the tech that it's that, that, that connects it. And they feel like an, an opponent could take advantage of that and put them in a very bad situation. And because of that, I think they're threatening China with the idea of if you go too far with this, we're prepared to use nukes on you for first use. And kind of what they said. I think that's also why they're raising, you know, to, the U.S. wants to set the pace again. They always have, you know, and, you know, quantum computer is important in this, too, because it's about the speed of processing information, making decisions and, um, and all this stuff. And. I actually have a question that relates to technology and this this competition in, in the wars with China. Um, you know, they announced the fusion breakthrough, right? Like, is that something that we should, should be considered in this scenario? Or I'm not so sure about that. I have my own questions about what the U.S. has been able to do there. And personally, I'd like to hear from our friend Eric Lerner what he thinks of what they've done. Because there's a lot in there that just seems... That seems very poised to, to speak to energy independence. Here's what, you know, and to sell it well before they've even developed anything. So I I don't really, I'm not going to buy yet that they've made any major breakthroughs there. I have something else I'd like to bring up that is not, not sure if I want it in the episode. But if you'll look at here in on page six, and if you look down at the just at this, this, this is what I had also felt was these sentences where it says climate change and other transboundary challenges. 
if you look at this, uh, climate change is creating new corridors of strategic interaction, particularly in the Arctic region. It will increase demands, including on the joint force, for disaster response and defense support of civil authorities and affect security relationships with some allies and partnerships, insecurity and instability related to climate change by tax governance, capacity in some countries while hiding tensions between others, risking new armed conflicts and increasing demands for civilization activities. And then it brings up COVID-19. I'm, 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 this is why I'm not sure, because I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but that about supporting, like the defense support of civil authorities and disaster response, am I reading into it that it's, because climate change is going to be used as the COVID pandemic was used to be able to control people, that the military will not only just be used for foreign like um, intervention, but rather also domestic intervention used, as it says, in support of civil authorities to support like what's happening if someone was to go against what the narrative that's being given in the USA, say, you know, you have to do, or you're, the restrictions being placed and the curfews, as we saw, and the limitations and the lockdowns and everything like that, that the military would then also be used to support these civil authorities to enforce whatever, uh, uh, whatever restrictions are placed on us and imposed on us. Is it, is it, and then it talks about the COVID-19 pandemic just after that. Is it too too much for me to assume that that's what they mean, that they will then also be used if necessary um, domestically? Or am I just reading too much into it? And that's why I don't want to really include this because it's just something I have as a or a question that I, I wanted to bring up earlier. I don't think it's a stretch at all. I mean, that section reads literally like it's right out of um, fucking, what's his name? Uh, Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19. Um, I mean, it's a little more tempered down, I guess, but I mean, his segue is really clear. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. And just understand, like, they know that if a conflict with China is, is coming, um, the last, the last major world conflict, that first world one was they had to use the Espionage Act to say, if you, if you tried to stop the U.S. from entering World War One, you're going to jail. Um, and then in World War II was the Smith Act, um, which was basically anybody who opposed the U.S. entry into World War II would go to jail. Um, so they know that I think it goes without saying that they will use the, in the under the context of fighting a war. Um, they're going to use the U.S. military to put people who might oppose it in, in this country in jail and, and, and worse. At, but certainly they're going to exercise control. For me, what's most interesting, and they even have an own section on it is how they understand the Arctic as a strategic region of fighting this future conflict. Uh, there's probably things I don't understand about that, that that was just interesting to me that, 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 that they were basically laying out the, this place. And they, and I think climate change isn't what it's about. There's something else going on that is making the Arctic uh, an important part of this future war that they foresee. And- in the past, I made a comment about like Russia, why, you know, fighting Russia is important for that because Russia has the most military bases in the Arctic than any other, you know, like uh, power in the world, even the U.S. or Canada. or uh, So they have dominance in that domain, if you, if you 
if you put it that way. And like what I've heard is that, you know, as like the the ice melts, there is going to be more trading routes through that area that are faster than, you know, going down. And also uh, petroleum, you know, like or, or gas and oil, you know, there is, you know, deposits in the, those areas. The U.S., right, like had deposits in Alaska, right? Um, and so I I think that that's, those are some of the reasons, you know, that that domain is important to also engage in. And that's why I think that the U.S. or NATO, quote unquote, wants to bring in Finland, you know, and, and those Nordic countries into the fold because that region will be, you know, you know, up for grabs, you know, in a more intense way. That's just what I make of it. I agree. That's what I had also, I had also um, heard that as well. And as I'm just searching quickly here on a quick search on the web browser, it is the Russian controlled Northern Sea Route is one of the way, only way ships can sail through the Arctic. Melting Sea has the open passages around it by 2035, which is going to be um by then it, it, they're going to try to maintain control of it before it starts melting and creating these passageways that are going to be feasible for ships to pass but yes i i had heard about that as well and that's why i think the arctic region is important whereas it was so very difficult to challenge it was a challenge to get through what no sorry i didn't mean to interrupt there i just yeah. add like there's i don't know enough about military history but from what i do know i mean Alaska is like there's there's so much shady shit going up going on up there in terms of military bases and projects um yeah even like going back to our chemtrails episodes um yeah so I agree and I think that maybe speaks the fact that the Alaska is part of the U.S. speaks to how far ahead these fuckers think you know <laughs> true that All right. Well, I'm, I don't have anything else I want to share. I think I'm mostly settled. I mean, I'm just glad we got a chance to talk about it. It's definitely giving me more things to think about. Well, since anyone else? Just looking forward to the new edition of the National Defense Strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the next I one will be 100, 120 pages. Yeah. <laughs> Andy never gives us like light, fluffy homework. <laughs> and we see how much progress they make in finding, you know, the trillions that are lost every year. And I don't want to include this, but it's so interesting how COVID was such a little throwaway line in this thing. Like, they they couldn't be like this document could not be bothered with COVID. <laughs> like, they know this is not anything to do with anything. We'll just kind of throw it in there. It's like, by the way, there's been this whole thing that we've been telling you is the most important thing that we don't give a shit about. So we'll just put a little line in here just to like make sure we don't at least completely ignore this pandemic, which supposedly changed our whole lives and blah, blah, blah. They did on, on alongside the budget, right? They uh, took away the COVID mandate for the military. Mm. I think so. Yeah, I saw something about that. Or I don't know if it's still being like, I don't know. When, it's, when it goes through the fucking legal system, it's like, did it really get drop dropped? I don't know. Right, right. Thank you all for going, working your way through as much of the document as you could. Appreciate you uh, just sharing your thoughts about it. 
Well, that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash challenge the mainstream left to post information about our topics and our guests in the episode. That's where we found this episode on our, or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Postcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And you can find our blog, any of, any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. Uh, if you'd like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, you can also find our social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZPKE on Instagram and Jesse's uh, Twitter handle as at jhomie89. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts Jessica, Kenny Cepeda, and Andy Lipson. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Ciao! If I ever have anything in my face, whether it be on my cheek, nose, or something, please say something. Because today, sorry, I'm distracting. But today I was talking to someone and I had eaten some nuts, some maple sugar nuts. And so I was eating it on the bus and I went to go pick up my nephew. And it was the last day of school. And I was talking to parents. And I had like like the sugar-coated like part of the nuts here. And no one said anything. Oh, and then cool. finally, I, I was looking. I felt something. And then I looked at the mirror. I have a little mirror for myself. And then I said, why didn't anyone say anything? Jesus. <laughs> so, so, anyhow. So, please say something. I don't want it to be permanent online forever for me to have something.